Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Hi, I'm Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining us. Given everything that is happening around the world as a result of the coronavirus, I'm not sure it's the best time to start a business. In the last recession in 2008-2009, I actually tried to start another business. In hindsight, if I had taken the money that frankly I ended up flushing down the toilet and maybe bought a business as opposed to trying to start one, I'd have a different story to tell. So today at the cafe, I'm joined by Carl Allen, founder of Dealmaker Wealth Society. And if anyone knows about buying and selling the business, it's Carl. Carl's a world-class entrepreneur, investor, corporate deal maker who has worked on more than 330 transactions worth close to $48 billion. And Carl, I, I want to ask you, hopefully you got a couple percentage points off of all that $48 billion. Yeah, unfortunately, no. I, I, most of those mega deals were in uh, investment banks and large corporates. So, uh, no, I just got salaries and bonuses. <laughs> all right. All right. We'll have to have a talk about that. Uh, in his nearly 30-year career, Carl's analyzed thousands of businesses, big and small, in 17 different countries and in nearly every business sector, including technology, pharmaceuticals, transportation and logistics, engineering, manufacturing, aerospace, consumer goods and services, business services, retail, professional services, finance, packaging, and corporate clothing. And you out there, my listeners today, I guarantee you're probably in one of these sectors. So stay tuned and listen in because you're going to get some great insights. And Carl, welcome. Thank you very much, Angela. It's great to be with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. I think this is a great and very timely topic, what's going on. Before we start, though, do you have a quote on your website that I really liked? Having money makes you rich, but having time to enjoy your life makes you wealthy. I love yeah. that. And, it, and you. it's your quote, right? Yes. Uh, I think that's fantastic. And, you know, so many times I hear people, oh, I wish I had all this money. There's a comedian one day I was listening to, and he says, I need to win. He was talking about some guy that he knew. He says, I need to win the lotto. You know, the lotto was like, whatever, $300 million. He goes, I need that money. And the comedian says, boy, you must be in a lot of trouble to need $300 million, right? <laughs> and, and it's so true. I, I listen to some of these, you know, startups and, and young businesses about the, it's about the money. And to me, it's more about the passion. It's about doing something you really love that hopefully the money will come, not just necessarily I'm in it for the money. I absolutely agree with that. You know, everything that I look at in life, uh, I have like these four concentric circles that overlap. And I look at something, you know, am I really good at it? Is there a massive market for it? Will people pay for it? And am I truly and utterly passionate about it? And if you can sit in the concentric intersection of those four circles, you have an unbelievable opportunity. Because when you're truly passionate about something, it's it doesn't feel like work. It feels like your mission and you're pulled towards the achievement of those objectives. And um, when things get tough and everything in life gets tough, um, you have the resilience and the strength to follow through. So uh, having passion in your life is it, is everything. And, and I remember a great quote from Steve Jobs to that effect. I think he gave the um, the inaugural address at, at a university, I think it was Stanford University in California, um, where he said something very, very similar, you know, find something that you're truly passionate about, you have one life, uh, do something that you love, uh, it just makes life so much more enjoyable. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think there's another saying that says, if you enjoy what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, something like that. Absolutely. Along those lines. Yeah. 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 So before we, we jump into it and, and I start to, uh, you know, digging into some, some more details on you, why don't you take just a couple minutes? I gave you a, a, a rolling intro, but maybe there's some other things you'd like to tell the audience about yourself. Sure. So I'm I'm 50 this year, um, and I started my deal making career way back in 1992. So I worked for investment banks. I worked for Bank of America on Wall Street, and then uh, after business school and a stint in in private equity, I worked for a large corporate buying and selling businesses for them all over the world. That was Hewlett Packard, the hundred billion dollar uh, technology company, and um, I did all that through 2008. So I I, I would say I was to your original quote, you know, a rich person at that time, I was making lots of money, but I wasn't wealthy because I had the worst work-life balance, you know, one could imagine. I was neglecting my family. Um, you know, I just, I just wasn't a nice guy. I wasn't very healthy and not fun to be around. And uh, my, my world changed on the 1st of February, 2008. I was in Moscow closing a deal for HP. And my wife, who was 36 weeks pregnant back in the UK, went into labor and I had to get myself back to the UK at short notice, uh, which was really hard. And I managed to make it into the hospital about five minutes before my, my son was born. And uh, my little guy, Josh, who's now 12, um, cradled him in my arms. And I thought, you know, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. So I retired. I walked away from seven figures of stock options and bonuses and I quit. And I lasted about three weeks and then I was freaking out, going crazy. So I decided to become a business broker because I only had one skill. It was buying and selling companies. I've been doing it very successfully. Um, however, as a business broker, the first deal I tried to sell, I ended up buying it. Um, the seller didn't want a corporate to acquire the business. They wanted a safe pair of hands that would preserve the legacy of the business and safeguard the livelihoods of the employees. So I bought that business in a what I call a leveraged buyout, which is a Wall Street term you can apply to buying any business. Essentially, Angela, you're buying the business using other people's money. There's a bit misconception in the world that if you want to buy a million dollar business, you need a million dollars of personal cash. You, you don't. You can use other people to finance the deal, including that the seller himself. And we can dig into that a little bit later. So I, I started buying and selling my own businesses from 2012 onwards. And I'm still doing that to this day. I own a private equity firm in the United States. Then about four years ago, I was inundated with people that wanted me to coach them and mentor them. Uh, so I built a system. I built a training program called the Dealmaker CEO, which taught um, business owners and entrepreneurs how to buy businesses using other people's money. So if you own a business today, you can literally double your revenues in an afternoon by bolting on another company. Or if you're a an entrepreneur, rather than start a business, go and buy one instead. It's cheaper, it's quicker, it's less risky. Or if you're a, an employee and you want to own a business, you know how to actually do it, leveraging your passion and, and your sector experience. So, so I'm doing both today. I own a portfolio of businesses, uh, but my true passion is in the coaching and mentoring of entrepreneurs to essentially do what I do. Sure. Well, you know, I, <clears throat> I've been involved. <clears throat> with uh, um, several businesses that have been bought and sold, including my own, um, uh, about 10 years ago. And it's if you've never done it before, it, it's a mystery. So yeah. long story short, uh, we were approached 
Um, I had an advertising agency. We were approached to sell to a larger company and they wanted to buy me and my creative partners. I mean, literally it was like a call on a Monday and by Friday we were negotiating and and everything I know today <laughs> says that was the wrong thing to do. Uh, we moved way too quick. I mean, I think we got a great deal, but I'm sure if we had really planned it out and worked through it and and more importantly, thought about selling in advance, right? The, the idea of selling was never in my head because um, I never thought anybody would you know, buy you know, a, a, a $6 million firm. But in the end of the day, they were after the people not necessarily the clients, right? Because we grew the business with our partners and blah, blah, blah. So I think there's a lot of different strategies in, in the way people think about buying and selling. And I want to dig into that. But I do have some questions just that I always ask my guests and I want to yep. ask you the same. So when you think about growing your business, and we'll, let's pick the society maybe as a way to focus, what keeps you up at night? So for me, it's it's the passion of, teaching my message so i i have a legacy in in my life and it's not about money my, my legacy is that there are two major problems in this world that that i'm looking to solve so the first one is there are millions of entrepreneurs out there that every year will go and start a business and according to michael gerber who's, who wrote the e-myth my, my favorite ever business book 96 percent of them will fail inside of 10 years so the lives that are destroyed and the money that's lost and the pain that those people go through. So my mission is to stop people doing that and instead go and buy a business that somebody else has built. They've made it successful. But for whatever reason, and we can go into those if you like, now decide it's time to sell. Um, so that's part one. Part two is if you look at the selling landscape today, it, it, it's crazy. In the United States alone, there's over 2.4 million small businesses for sale. So businesses sub $10 million in annual revenues. And only one in 11 of those businesses will sell in the next 12 months. And there's 10,000 baby boomers every day retiring in the United States. And 19%, according to Forbes, own a small business. So you've got 1,900 businesses every day coming to market. And the vast majority of them, to your earlier point, which was a fantastic point, they're not ready for sale. Those businesses have not been groomed. They've not been optimized. They've not been positioned to sell. And the seller's not gone through the administrative process of preparing for sale or the psychological process of preparing for sale. Because what's really interesting in the buying and selling marketplace, when, when you're buying a billion-dollar business, and I've bought a bunch of those in my corporate life. Those deals are 90% numbers and 10% psychology. So if you're HP with a public share price, you can use those shares just to go and buy pretty much anything. And if you if you have $1.4 trillion, you can go and buy Apple. So every business is for sale. Those deals are all about numbers and financial engineering. But when you get into the small and medium space, when you get into the sub $10 million revenue space and even more so sub 5 million. Those deals are all about psychology. They're a lot more about psychology than numbers. And the vast majority of business owners that I meet and, and I look at their businesses, they're less concerned about the financial aspects of the deal. They're looking to preserve their legacy. They're looking to preserve the livelihoods of their employees. They want their customers to be treated in the right way. They want the name of their business to stay the same. 
Um, it's those intangible things uh, which really drive the dynamics and the psychology of this small and medium space. So I, I'm trying to plug the 7 million Americans every year that start a business and 96% fail into the 2.4 million businesses that want to sell but can't. That's my passion. That's what I'm doing with Dealmaker Well Society. All right. Understand. You know, and, it, and it's great. I, I just think that, and you made a great point, every business is for sale, whether the owner knows it or not, right? And 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 I think about that. I, I'm working on this consulting group with a, with some of my other fractional friends. And I remember in the meeting when we started talking about it, I said, you know, as we grow this, potentially we could sell it someday. And their response was, no, nobody would buy this. And I said, I, I beg to differ. Because if we create a brand, a solid brand that doesn't depend on us as individuals, you know, then we've got something that's sellable, obviously, that has a reputation and things that we're doing. So uh, my next question is, what's the best business advice you've ever given and or received if it's different? So the best business advice I would give to somebody is, is buy a business, don't start a business. And the, the reason I say that is it's what I call the no problem with all startups. If you start a business from scratch, you have no products, no services, no customers, no employees, no money, no credit, no reputation. Whereas when you buy a business that somebody has built, which has all of that stuff, but they don't want that business anymore, they want to retire, they're sick, they could be dying in some cases, they're bored, fed up, frustrated, whatever, then you inherit all of those different things. And what's also really important is um, like Tesla has just come to the UK within the past year and I just ordered a Tesla and I pick it up in about six weeks. And did I go and buy the wheels, the bonnet, the battery, the big iPad in the middle, the glass, the steering wheel? And did I assemble it all on my drive and think, right, how the heck do I put all this together? Or did I go to the Tesla dealership, order a car that they built and basically finance it through Tesla? It's the exact same process uh, when it comes to starting versus buying a business. And the best business advice I've ever been given was actually from, from Tony Robbins, uh, who um, is one of my mentors. And about five years ago, he said to me, you know, there's a difference between the art of achievement and the science of fulfillment. And what he meant by that is if you want to achieve anything in your life, whatever it is, lose weight, fix a relationship, buy a business, start a business, the difference that's going to make the difference is boiling it down to your why, your purpose. And what he means by that is it's all about finding leverage on yourself. And that gives you the fuel, that gives you the juice to push through and follow through when, when times get tough, because I've, I've never done anything in my life that, that's been easy. Um, there's always challenges ahead. And the stronger your purpose, the easier I found it is to push through. So that, that's the best advice I've ever been given. And I actually utilize that when I'm coaching and mentoring my, my students. Um, you know, what the difference that makes a difference between people that close deals and don't is the ones that do they have that clear defined why. Because at the end of the day, no, nobody wants to buy a business. Nobody wants to own a business. What people want are the benefits 
of business ownership. It's wealth creation, it's cash flow, it's legacy, it's pride, it's fulfillment, it's ego in some cases. That's what we want as human beings. Mm -hmm. The business is just the vehicle to achieve that. And once you can connect those benefits with the mindset of the entrepreneur, that's what makes the difference. Okay, fantastic. I love that. One of the, the things I hear all the time when it comes to buying and selling a business is, is the owner's coming to a realization that their business is not as valuable as they may think. And, and, and I, I feel that that's always a struggle. And, and, and personally, when I was selling my business, it was like, no, my business is worth so much more. And, you know, and I was looking for ways, looking at my brand, looking, you know, everything I could do to throw some value onto it. Yeah. So how do you counsel, um, you know, someone who's thinking about selling their business to be realistic about what it's really yeah. worth? So that's the million dollar question, Angelo. Uh, I get asked that question daily. You know, how do you value a business? What are the criteria? And there's kind of two answers to it. So the first one, when you look at the the kind of the mathematical side of it, most businesses tend to be valued at a multiple of their earnings. Um, and the, the technical term we use is EBITDA, which is the, the profit of the business before um, lots of adjustments. And the average multiple of EBITDA in the United States in 2018, I've not got the 2019 numbers yet, they're not published. The average multiple for a business sub $5 million in revenues was about 2.4 times. So those are the market statistics. And like, like anything, um, lots of things are valued on comparisons. So if you look at the stock market, for example, the value of one particular company tends to trade in the same range as some of the, the comparable businesses. But but then there are a lot of things that adjust or reduce those those multiples. So if you've got a business that's growing really rapidly or it's very, very high margin or it's got intellectual property or it's got uh, a real kind of barrier to entry as to what they're doing and really high quality processes and people, that can lift a multiple. But on the other hand, if you've got a commodity business with low margins, no growth, um, no barriers to entry, that can depress the multiples. But the averages are around uh, around 2.4, 2.5 times. But what's more important than the value of a business is the structure of a deal. So um, I, if, if I looked at a business that was worth two and a half times profit, I'd easily pay five times profit if I could buy that business over 10 years. And just pay the seller over a number of years. Um, so the benefit for the seller is they they can stay at home. They don't need to go to their business end anymore. But they're still getting the cash flow every month um, from the proceeds I'm, I'm, I'm giving them. The disadvantage to that, obviously, is um, they're not getting a lump sum payment at closing to go and do whatever they want to do with. Now, for some sellers, that's what they want. And sadly, most of them, especially now, are not able to sell their businesses. But um, I, I would estimate that 70% of sellers are happy to sell their business through a deferred payment structure, as long as you give them sufficient security over the business. So if you don't pay, they, they can take it back. And those people, they're coveting the things I talked about before. They want a safe pair of hands that can be trusted to take over the business, take it to the next level, keep the name, keep the culture, keep the people, um, and basically keep it harmonious as it continues its journey through life. So the advice I, you know, the question I always ask sellers 
is, you know, what, what do you want? You know, do you want to see your business continue and thrive? Uh, or do you want a competitor to potentially acquire your business and destroy it while the ink's still drying on the uh, sale and purchase agreement? And some people go down, down, down both routes, or there's a hybrid situation where they might take half of the money at closing and then the other half of the money in the future. Uh, but then as a buyer, you can utilize the assets in the business and the cash flows in the business to raise financing to be able to make the majority, if not all, of that closing payment. Okay, interesting. There's a, the way I look at it, there's, a, there's an art and science, as you just kind of indicated, about how you value a business. And, and I've talked to some uh, business, you know, business brokers, and they go, oh, we do a, a, you know, a small assessment. It's $2,500. And I've talked to people who do valuations that could charge twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 to do valuation. So that's a huge disparity on what you're going to get, um, a snapshot versus a deep dive. So how do you approach it? And, and for a deep dive for me, when I look at a market, you know, I get into the competitors, the competition, who owns what, you know, what are the products are being sold at. So I do when I do deep dives in markets. And so I like I was contacted by a couple of valuation people. Uh, I have a research background saying, could I apply some of my research skills to help them evaluate the markets? But wow. how do you how do you approach it and how do you get into it? So, again, I always look at the structure of the deal versus the actual headline valuation number. But but what I do is I, I start off and I, and I ask a very different question. The first question I always ask any seller, any business, is why are you selling? Because once I understand their motivation, once I understand what their outcome is and what they're looking to achieve, I can map a deal around those requirements. And in a lot of cases, a lot of those requirements are not financially related. And I can then horse trade against those financial aspects. So I'll give you an example. So I bought a media company in Burbank, California in 2018. We were talking about that uh, before we came on air. And when I asked, I said to the seller, you know, what, what, what do you want? What's the perfect deal look like for you? She said, well, Carl, I want four things. I want somebody that my late husband would be proud of to take this business to the next level. A dependable, credible, trusted, safe pair of hands that will, will take this business and cherish it. She said, number two, I want a commitment from you that you will not change the name of the business. Number three, I want a commitment from you that you won't get rid of any of the employees or change the logo of the business, which was designed in 1985 when the business was founded. Then number four, I'd like some money at closing to pay my costs and go on vacation. Perfect. So I gave her those four things, and I, I bought a business valued in the multi-hundreds of thousands of dollars for less than $20,000 as a closing payment. And it's because I truly elicited from that seller what did she really want to achieve? So in a lot of cases, this is, again, leveraging the psychological aspects of deal making at the small and medium business level. If, if you're Google and you're trying to buy the next big social media platform, you can't have those conversations. It's all about financial engineering. 
Um, it, it's how that competitor is going to look at, do they do an IPO? What do their venture capital investors want? How much is that business when it's in the hands of Google? That That's corporate mergers and acquisitions. When it comes down to the small and medium businesses, it's all about really listening and understanding what does a seller actually want? And in a lot of cases, it's a surprising thing to say, and I've discovered this over my 28 or 29 years, it's not often about money. They, they might want some money eventually, and that is what we call seller financing. You can buy the business over time using the future profits of the business as, as the owner. And it's, it's interesting. The number of times I say to a seller, I talk to sellers every day, a number of times I'll say, you know, what, what do you want to achieve? Why are you selling? And they'll say, I just don't want to go into my business anymore. Uh, I, you know, Nirvana for me is to not have to get up and go into my business every day, but still generate the cash flow that I currently enjoy as the owner or as a shareholder in this business. Perfect. Right there, that tells me this is a seller financing deal. They, they want $2 million for the business. It's really worth 1.2. It's like, fine, I'll, I'll pay you $2 million. I'll pay you $400,000 a year over five years, um, and I'll pay you monthly from the future profits of the business. How does that sound? Great. And then we, we do the deal. And we can do those deals really quick because if you're not raising any external financing, whether it's from an equity investor or an asset financier or the SBA or all these different lenders that we have now, if you're not using other people's money to fund a purchase, you can get the deal done very, very quickly. It's just the time to get the legals transacted. So you close the deal in just a few weeks. Um, and you don't need to do a whole ton of due diligence because no one's taking any risk. If you buy the business and you determine that it's it's a terrible business, you can just hand it back and walk away. Uh, but you, you, know, you do do some due diligence. Of course you do. You look at the market. You look at the numbers. You make sure that it's paid its taxes. It's not subject to any litigation and all those all those different things. Um, but, um, you know, when I when I was back in HP, we used to spend months, months doing due diligence. And we'd have armies of professional advisors digging through loads of different things. When, when you're buying a small business, it's more about the people. It's more about the owner, what's going yeah. on in their mind. Well, I think that's exactly what happened to us. The, the company that bought us was a, a billion-dollar independent advertising firm. And, you know, they didn't, all they had to do was reach into their pocket and, you know, grab some spare change. So it, it happened, to my point, very quickly, which nobody was going out to borrow money or, or you know, going to the banks or whatever. So, yeah, that happened pretty quick. Do you, We've talked about both sides. I mean, in your business, are you both doing buying and selling for yes. people? Okay. Uh, uh, no, no. So, um, so I'm I'm buying and selling my own businesses, which live inside of my private equity firm. But in terms of my coaching and mentoring, um, as I mentioned at the start, my my passion, what's driving me in this life, is connecting the entrepreneurs with the millions and millions of businesses that are sat unsold um, in the small and medium marketplace. So what what the majority of my focus is on the buying, but then obviously I'm I'm coaching people on the growth and optimization of those businesses. And then eventually if they, if they want to sell, I'll walk them through uh, that process as well. But uh, the most important part in that is actually the acquisition of the business in the first instance. And, and, it, and it's not just for entrepreneurs that want to get into business ownership for the first time. Um, what's even more powerful 
is when you own a business currently and you want to scale. Most people think that if you own a business and you want to double your business, you've got to sell more products, generate more leads, hire more people, and it's quicker, it's cheaper, and it's easier to actually do it by acquiring a complementary business. That could be a competitor. That could be somebody inside of your supply chain. So, you know, think if you're an engineering company and you're buying loads of materials from someone and it's a big part of your overhead, uh, go and buy that business. And then you're you're capturing more of the profitability in your own company. But then if you say own a software company and you go out and you buy an IT services company, you can cross-sell the software of your current business to the customers of the service business and vice versa. Then when you bring those two businesses together, there's lots of duplicate costs that you can take out. So your revenue goes up because you've got the old revenue, the new revenue, plus the cross-sell revenue. Mm -hmm. But then your profits go up at a higher rate because you're creating a much more efficient business by taking out a lot of those duplicate costs. So acquisition is is the most powerful method of growing any business. And it's what it's what the big companies do. That's where I was kind of brought up. That's where I learned my trade as an investment banker and as a corporate deal maker. But it, it's even more exciting to do it as the owner of a small business because you can do that growth um, by using very little of your own money and in some cases without using any of your own money at all. Right. And I think that's that's a great point because I, I think I'll make the statement. And you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. But I believe most business owners don't understand when they think about buying a business. The first thing they look at is I don't have the money in the bank. I have to, I have to go buy. Right. They don't think about all the different strategies and working with someone like yourself is is brilliant. Uh, it's interesting. I, I, I have a client in the in the in the in a Christmas industry, if you will. And, you know, big, big decorations for malls and things like that. And and I worked um, with them on their uh, three to five year plan. And I and part of our growth strategy was an acquisition at year three to find a complementary business to, number one, offset some of the kind of the cash flow uh, downturns because because in, it's in a seasonal business, you're looking for where the troughs and, and cash flows and things like that. And so uh, I, I, I truly believe in that. And. And I, um, so the consulting group that I tell you we were starting, part of our offering is companies that are looking to sell and do an evaluation to help them get ready, which might be, you know, another year or two years, but, you know, not just go into a, a selling uh, mode. The, um, now you're, you, you, you buy and do this all over the world. Yeah. So is there between the United States and if you're going to buy in England or go into Moscow, to Russia or Spain, I mean, there's lots, I would assume, different rules and regulations based on every country, which forces you to be educated on that. Yeah. So what I would say is if, if you look at the westernized economies, so the United States is the largest buying and selling marketplace on, on, on the planet by a long, long way. Um, so that that is the easiest market by far to do deals because you've got um, you've got an entrepreneurial culture. You've got tons of businesses for sale and even more coming to market. You've got a very mature, very entrepreneurial acquisition financing market. 
Um, you've got a similar situation in the UK, although it's a smaller industry. You've got a similar situation in Canada, but it's a micro industry compared to the United States. And you've got similar opportunities in Australia and, and in South Africa as well. When you go to other parts of the world, when you go to China and you go to Latin America and you go to other parts of Africa and Asia, uh, there are a lot of kind of different nuances. And I'm not talking about tax nuances or legal nuances. One of the biggest changes is more of the entrepreneurial mindset. So I've, I've bought businesses in the past that we, we've sourced uh, products and services from the Far East. And unfortunately, in the Far East, that there's no credit culture. So if you want to buy something from China or, or Bangladesh, I used to own a big corporate clothing company and all of our garments came from Bangladesh. If you want to buy stuff from over there, you've got to pay for it when you order it. There's no credit terms mm. like there is in the US or in, in parts of Europe. And then what there also is not is there isn't really any acquisition financing. Um, and then when you go to like places like China, you can't buy a business in China from somebody unless they know you, like you, and trust you. You know, you, you have to be like almost family. Uh, they won't just sell a business to somebody they don't know. The, the Chinese term is called guangxi. I learned it at business school when I did my MBA. Um, you can't do anything in China. You can't even do business in China with people that you haven't built a really solid relationship with. And that translates through to, to doing deals as well. Uh, so where you can technically buy a business in any country, by just paying for the business over time, if you're looking at using financing, which I would say four out of five deals that anyone will ever do will require some financing for, for a closing payment, then with the absence of a sophisticated financing market, it just becomes very, very difficult to do. But in the US, UK, Canada, Australia, Singapore, South Africa, other parts of Europe like Germany, France, um, there's billions, if not trillions of dollars of this money kind of slushing around. And, and, and debt's the cheapest it's ever been right now. Um, so, and, and there's a lot more of it. Do you find that, uh, I know we're coming down to, to, to the end here, but a few more questions. The, sure. Looking at what's going on, and that was kind of my opening statement in the world with the coronavirus and, and, how businesses are going to come back or not come back from this. And I've done a lot of uh, research. I wrote an article recently about looking at recessions and, you know, the Spanish flu and what went on in the economy and, and making recommendations on how businesses sh should approach this. Do you think there's going to be an explosion of people to scan? I, I got to get out of this thing. I don't want to do this all over again. And even more businesses on the market. Yes, 100% agree with that. And, and I've seen it multiple times throughout my career. I saw it after 9-11. I saw it after the global financial crisis. I saw it after three or four recessions that I've seen throughout my, my 28 years as a dealmaker. And the reason has got more to do with seller psychology than it has to do with the underlying performance of their businesses or the markets that they're in. And what I mean by that is in a lot of cases, sellers at the smaller medium business level, they're driven by emotion. And in a lot of cases, and I'm seeing this a lot right now, what's happening is almost like the straw that broke the camel's back. That, I think that's a UK phrase. I don't, don't recall. No, we say it here that. too. We say. Oh, you say that. <laughs> yeah. So you've got a lot of sellers that 
you know, they've been through all these different cycles in business. You know, they've had great years. They've had bad years. They may have got sick and then recovered. And, and I think what's happening now is, is probably one of the most profound things. It, it's the most profound thing I've ever experienced in my 49 years on this earth. And what I'm seeing is where I see opportunity, the vast majority of business owners see it as a time to kind of pack up and, and move on to something else. And not just kind of the older boomer generation. I'm seeing it with a lot of entrepreneurs as well. And what it comes down to is um, there's a lot more businesses surviving through COVID-19 <clears throat> than a lot of people realize. There's this phenomenal uh, schemes. You've, you've got the, the, the payroll protection scheme in the States. Uh, they're doling out money in the UK like candies to children. Uh, the billions of dollars that they're coming up with from nowhere to to support businesses, and you know we're starting to get back on track now over here, as I, as I think you are in the states. But a lot of these business owners, they've not made any, they're not taking any opportunity to pivot the business models through this uh, situation, and and I find that really kind of frustrating. But it really comes down to their own psychology. If, if if they've had a business for 30 years and they've done something in a certain way for 30 years and been successful, they're not mentally capable of pivoting right now temporarily to not only get through the situation, but but thrive. But some of the examples that I've seen are incredible. You know, I, I, own, I have a friend that owns an engineering company that makes um, valves for performance motorbikes. And he called me when all this kind of kicked off and said, you know, what do I do? All my customers have said, you know, we're not buying any more components for the foreseeable future. What, you know, what am I going to do? My business is going to collapse. I, I, I said, well, you know, could you quickly retool to make components for medical devices? He said, yeah, take me 24 hours. And I said, well, pivot your business into the medical supply chain because countries all over the world are screaming for ventilators and other medical devices. His revenues are 10x what they were before the, the pandemic, you're, you're seeing clothing companies, not just small businesses, but companies like Prada and Burberry, uh, they're not making luxury garments anymore. They're making PPE to protect nurses and other frontline health workers. Uh, distillery companies have stopped making alcohol, even though the alcohol consumption has gone up uh, during this environment, but they're making uh, hand sanitizer and antibacterial products. Um, my friend that owns uh, the local Italian restaurant where I live in the UK, um, she's 3X'd her revenues over the last two months by doing takeout and told me last week she's not going to go back to having uh, an in-dining restaurant. She's making much more revenue, much more profit uh, the way she's pivoted her business model. And she's partnering with the local taxi company, which she's now made so much money she's going to acquire them. Um, so she's got this kind of Uber Eats type model, which, you know, we don't have in, in rural UK like, like you do in, in Southern California. So, um, so there's a massive opportunity for entrepreneurs or existing business owners to go and buy those businesses that owners don't want anymore as they come out of the situation. You, know, you don't want to buy a business that's dying. You want to buy a business that, that's on, a, you know, a decent footing, but then pivot it and scale it by either putting your industry knowledge and your passion and your network into it or bolting it into a business you already have and really benefiting from all of those synergies you get when you stick two businesses together. Yeah, that's great advice. I, 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 I talk to folks all the time about 
retooling, rescaling, looking at how they can pivot and not just do the same thing, right? The, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and kind of expecting a different result. So we are down to the end. I, I do want to give you an opportunity um, to tell the audience how they can reach you and all that good stuff. But uh, if, if we can briefly, we haven't really talked about the Dealmaker Society and, and your kind of mentoring program. So why don't we take a few more minutes and, and talk about that? Sure. So, so we have a whole range of, um, of, of coaching and mentoring services to take, um, you know, want to be entrepreneurs, to experienced entrepreneurs, to small business owners, to large business owners through the journey, both psychologically and mechanically of growing what they do through acquisitions. Um, so that, that's what we do inside of Dealmaker Well Society. But what I've actually done, Angelo, for your listeners is I've created um, a blueprint. So it's my business buying blueprint, how to buy a business in 10 steps uh, using other people's money if, if you want to. It's a completely free um, guide. And so if your listeners want to go to you know, trainwithcarl.com forward slash business growth, it's a free gift that I'd like to give out to all of your listeners. Uh, they don't need their credit cards. It's a completely free uh, resource. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. You know, we, we used to, you know, we normally charge money for it, but um, I'd like to give it away to your um, to your listeners for free to see. You know, and if they're curious about this and they want to learn more, it, that that document it, it's like a hundred page document, so it'll take a couple of hours to read. It will really kind of frame out what's required because this isn't for everybody. Um, but for a lot of people that are curious, it will answer a lot of their questions as to how it works, you know, what they would need to do, how long it takes and all those different things. And then for uh, the select few people that go through that and decide, you know, this is something that I'm really committed to doing, uh, there'll be opportunities to to join our programs and services you know, going forward. But there's certainly zero you know, obligation, you know, but we'd like to have your listeners consume that um, that free report with uh, with our compliments. All right. So that's trainwithcarl.com backslash business growth. Yes. All right. Fantastic. Well, this has been a, a really great conversation. I, I'm, I'm glad we made this connection. I, my mind, you know, I'm a fractional chief marketing officer. And so my mind is racing right now about about keeping connected after this is over based on some other things that I'm doing. If you don't mind, I, I am going to send you a, a recent article that I did write about you know, lessons learned and, you know, net from history and navigating, uh, you know, out of this mess. So why I'd don't we tell, yeah. yeah, thank you. Uh, why don't we tell the, the listeners how they can reach you and, and your websites and LinkedIn and all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if they go to trainwithcarl.com, backslash business growth they can download the free report and then on there is all of our contact details and all of our social media like we uh, I, I go live on Facebook every Monday talking about deal making mindset I go live on YouTube every Friday for an hour answering questions about deals and deal making and buying businesses um, in general we have um, we have an e-letter called confessions of a deal maker so I'm telling all my war stories and successes from my 28 years in this in this business. Um, so they can sign up for that for free on the website as well. And, and just really start to explore and understand 
you know what life is like as a, as a deal maker versus being an employee or having an existing business that they're just trying to grow organically. Sure. You know, one last story on my end. So my parent company that I have now is called the Ponzi Group. Yes. But that was actually my original advertising agency that I sold. Okay. And so when they bought us, they put me together with my my creative partners. We became a new agency called Open Minds. And, you know, about six months ago, maybe seven months ago now, I was just on GoDaddy to, looking for some URLs and out of, you know, for shits and grins, I put in the Ponzi group and it, and it was available. So I, wow. I bought it and I sat on it for a while. And then, uh, cause my c- company or my LLC is called strategic market intelligence. It was, yep. um, and so I told my wife one day, I'm going to flip it back over to the Ponzi group. And it was lucky once before maybe to be lucky again, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so, but, but the emotion, right. There was part of that was about the emotion and the memories and the things that, that triggered me to, to make that change. Oh, well, what thank a great you. story. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been, this has been fantastic conversation. And I truly mean, I want to keep this connection open. There's a lot of things that, that uh, I'm doing on the other side that, that certainly there might be some opportunities to work together. So thank you so much. You're welcome. uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And thank you out there for listening today. Uh, You can find out more about me, read my blogs and view my show videos or sign up to receive more information at theponzigroup.com or certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. And if your business is ready for growth but and you need a CMO, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, connect with me. I love to talk to you about the benefits of working with a fractional CMO. And lastly, please subscribe to this show. And if you're already a subscriber, I encourage you to tell others about it so they can benefit from this great content like we heard today. And there's some great, great information in here today. You can subscribe at thebusinessgrowthcafe.com, on my website, or on any major podcast platform that you like to listen to. Join me next week for lunch at the Business Growth Cafe. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.